This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. If you looked at British politics and thought this is not normal, join me, Matt Chorley, on my tour as I try to explain what the hell is going on. For tickets, go to mytimesplus.co.uk. This is not normal. All of you being here is not normal. I couldn't believe it when my good friend Diane Adams told me we'd sold 50,000 tickets. <laughs> so what I'm going to try and do is to try and explain why politics has gone so weird. Now this is going to take about four or five hours. Um, it's the run-up to the 2007 local government elections. And I was going to interview David Cameron. And I asked him lots of really tough questions, like why should people vote Conservative? Why do you love Cornwall so much? What's your favourite farm animal? If only I'd asked a follow-up question. <laughs> When Jeremy Corbyn went on Mum's Net and asked about your favourite biscuit, he said, if forced, he would have shortbread. <laughs> if forced. Who forced you to have shortbread? Unless <laughs> you'd be taken hostage by a Scottish terrorist. <laughs> and he's probably friends with them anyway. and welcome to the Red Box Politics podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. Well, there's nothing going on, so who knows what we'll talk about. But I've managed to cobble together three people who might might find something uh, worth discussing. Salma Shah was a special advisor for Sajid Javid, most recently at the Home Office, uh, but has chose not to join him at the Treasury. We'll talk to her about what exactly is going on inside government, in particular in Number 10 and the risks of an election which may or may not be coming. Uh, Ian Martin, Times columnist, is going to try to shed some light on what's going on inside the Tory party. And then Phil Collins, Times columnist, will turn attention on the Labour Party. We'll try to keep the three things separate, but I imagine it might all collapse under the sheer weight of what the bloody hellism, uh, which is the current state of British politics. Um, so uh, don't forget, as ever, to get in touch with us. Email redbox@thetimes.co.uk if there's particular things that you don't understand or you want us to exp- try and explain what's happening in uh, British politics. Then do get in touch and tweet us at Times Red Box. But let's try and get down to it in another extraordinary week in British politics. This is Salma Shah. Number ten will be at panic stations. Snap elections don't usually pay off, and they know they're about to embark on an incredibly high-risk strategy that may blow up in their faces. But winning an election is a means to an end. They need a mandate to deliver Brexit. The Conservative cause will likely be a secondary consideration. So, Salma, we have a, an emergency cabinet meeting after an emergency drinks reception in the Garden of the <laughs> No, no, it was before the <laughs> drinks reception. 
and uh, the Prime Minister, the elect turns out, the Prime Minister appears to tell us that he does not want an election, the nation does not want an election, and then number 10 tell us that they've drawn up the paperwork to have an election. Yeah. But are we right to be confused? <laughs> um, yes, it is confusing, but there is... it. There is method to the madness. So that statement, I think, was trying to do a couple of things. Um, number one, it's strengthening the narrative. I just want to get on with Brexit. It's these uh, people in Parliament who are trying to frustrate me. And uh, But if I need to do it, I will do it. And then second of all, the briefing that's around it saying, you know, we're not scared of it. Bring it on. It'll be absolutely fine. Um to be honest with you, we don't know how true any of those things are, and that, if that's what they're actually <laughs> thinking. But it, it really is time to brazen it out um, by the looks of things. To what extent do you think that there is a plan somewhere in, locked in the safe in Downing Street? There's a, there's a plan, but whether it's going to work or not, everybody knows, um, is anybody's guess. So what do you see as the plan? So I think centrally, and I, and I am in a minority on this, um, Dominic Cummings and Boris Johnson are probably aiming for a deal. They want a deal. They know it's going to be incredibly hard to get a deal. And they are trying to shut down um, the opposition that means that they can't have a free hand in negotiating with the commission. That means um, stopping uh, their own uh, backbenchers in the form of Philip Hammond and the and the Gawkwood squad and David Gawk, and also um, Labour not coming on board and voting with them because it looks like they've lost the ERG in the same way that Theresa May had. So they're learning from Theresa May's errors and they are playing hardball. The problem with that is there are too many things that could happen. So bringing forward legislation that prevents no deal, which then stops him from being able to go to no deal at the end of October and um, preventing him, Fixed Terms Parliament Act, actually preventing him from having an election, which is the ultimate um, decider uh, and not giving him a mandate. So... So there's too many moving parts. There's too much there. But they they want. I think the plan is that they want to get a deal. They're trying to shut down the opposition to get a deal. But in order to do that, they are taking massive risks. Yeah, I agree. They do have a plan, but it's subject to the Mike Tyson objection, which is everybody has a plan until somebody punches you in the face. <laughs> and it is inevitable in the politics of a hung parliament that somebody will punch you in the face. And so they're doing their best. I agree with Selma too that the uh, the statement was quite clever. I thought actually it was an exercise in character definition. He said, "I'm the one. I'm not the one who's gunning for an election. I'll go there if I'm forced to." And that's a perfectly reasonable piece of politics. And I don't know why everybody misunderstood it as being confusing. I didn't think it was confusing at all. It was obviously set up to then come back should he be forced to do that to try and get it. In the event, he might not be allowed to, and we'll come on to that later. But the the part of it I I think is often said but not really true is that the thing that prevents a deal being done is not the shenanigans over no deal and all that macho nonsense it's the fact that nobody can think of something other than the backstop if we could in this podcast invent a brilliant solution to that it wouldn't matter whether or not no deal was a real threat we could just take it to the eu and they say oh that's a great idea let's definitely do that that's the problem it's a substantive problem. It's not a position, a negotiating position, blah, blah. All that's rubbish. It's the fact that this is a genuinely intractable question to which nobody has yet come up with a good answer other than my answer, which is ignoring it and talking about something else. <laughs> much as we'd like to do that. I'm not sure if the Prime Minister came out of Danish, so I'm just not going to talk about Brexit again. No, but that, I do, I do, I'm not really being facetious. I do think that actually the only solution to the Irish border question is to fudge it in the event. Yeah, exactly. I, I do, because I can't think of anything better than that. Ian, is number 10 being run by geniuses? 
or not. We keep depending on depending on whether or not you think number ten is being run by geniuses. It seems to depend on whether or not the geniuses answer your calls. Well, it's wi- yeah, not your calls, bit, one's calls. There's a bit there, there, there's a bit of that, but I mean, I do wonder about this because I keep reading it being said by people who are anti-Brexit or sceptical about the government that Brexiteers think that number 10 is being run by geniuses. I don't think, I don't, I don't know anyone who thinks that legitimately. Okay, there's a bit of sort of press hype. People want to glamorise Cummings and all the rest of it. But I think they're fairly realistic about the situation that they're in. I don't think they're parading around thinking that they're guaranteed to win. They know that the Conservative Party is totally stuffed if it doesn't get out on October the 31st. Their plan is, I think, it's adaptable. It is, you know, Cummings is very into all of this idea of branching histories and decision trees and all that sort of nonsense. Um, and I think he had. I think he. There I think, goes a genius. Oh. I think it, but, I, but, I, but I do think it's. because oh, he, he read a couple of blogs and a book, and he's by a physicist. Oh. But I do think that that is a, that is a sensible way to approach it. In that they have, the goal is to get out by October the thirty first. And they have various routes through to that, and they acknowledge that it might not that it might not work. Sam, what do you think? Because you've been in government with Dominic Cummings, and it feels like we went. Actually, through... I, I, I wasn't ever in government with Dominic Cummings. Um, Were you not there when he was at education? No, I joined in 2014 um. in, in what I like to describe as the glory years, just before we <laughs> won in the majority, and uh, then uh, left this summer. So we never actually crossed over. So we. We went through all this with Nick Timothy. Nick Timothy was a genius. Yes, I was there for that. Because he had a beard and he read a book about Joe Chamberlain once. And then uh, it feels like we're going through it all over again. Yes. What is your take on having been in government and seeing what's going on? I think it's very interesting, particularly with the Tories, that we have some kind of messiah complex. So this has sort of emerged three times, once with Steve Hilton and then with Nick Timothy and um, now with Dominic Cummings. And you don't really know where it starts does it start with the individual in question or is it as ian says people glamorizing um particular people um what i think is is quite interesting is you know obviously people start believing their own hype and then it turns into a bit of theater and you know the person at the center of of number 10 really likes to throw their weight around and that can be really detrimental to the cause because it becomes about that person and anything that they say or do um, can be a reflection of where the policy is going to change or where a particular steer is going to go. But it filters down to the whole of the government machine. And if you don't give people autonomy in places, actually things just don't run very well. Um, and that's the real problem with that. But then they're not running a normal government or administration, are they? This is very much on a war footing. It's like a, it's like a company that's doing... M&A or something, or it's a company in a, in a crisis, you, you can only run like this with people working seven days a week and with this kind of highly centralised command structure uh, for a few months. And then people get tired and make mistakes. They may be doing so already. Well, but this is very, very much about getting to November the 1st. They're doing a single-issue campaign, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, that's what one thing. I mean, I know Dominic Cummings quite well. I like him. I think he's very smart. But I don't think you can be quite smart enough because I think the intractable facts of this situation are so difficult that it won't be attributable to his genius or lack of it if it goes wrong. It'll be the fact that it's incredibly hard. He, I think he's exacerbating it now, but running a campaign with a single binary question, the referendum, 
is one thing. Yeah. Politics is incredibly more complicated than that. And I'm not yeah. sure he's entirely suited to it. And you're already starting to see the, the stories coming through that number 10 is in fact chaos. Well, a little caveat on that too. Anyone who's worked in Downing Street, as I have, knows it's always chaos. I mean, chaos <laughs> is in part the condition of politics. And I mean, I mean the Blair number 10, we had a reputation for being quite good. Don't believe a word of it. We were hopeless. We had no idea what was going on. Constantly reacting to things and just, just moving, all the, all the parts were moving at, at once. And you just have to try and convey a sense of a plan, which I think the, they do have in Downing Street, and they do have a plan, and then do your best to retrofit reality to what you'd thought but we the, wanted but to But the other important point here is that even if you have this single-issue campaign and it's on a wall footing, the thing about government is that business as usual continues. So there is a trade-off between all the things that you've got to do to prepare for no deal, which is completely uncertain and you don't know what you don't know and the stuff that actually you need to continue so welfare payments manning the border making sure the police have resources those things don't just disappear because we're on a wall footing and actually that adaptability that allows civil servants to come up with good ideas that isn't about that centralized control that is also an important part of of gearing up for a really big event like this and also you've got to find a whole load of lunatics to stand in uh, weybridge and Runnymede when now you when you sack the former chancellor <laughs> i am available <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you fit the self-styled uh, lunatic. I mean, the, the really that wasn't my implication. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. One of the uh, one of the striking things, speaking to different ministers and cabinet ministers and officials in different departments, is there are some who say Cummings is brilliant. We've got a problem; he's unblocking them. We've had months of nothing happening to Isa May, and now stuff is happening in other departments, which Number Ten don't see as particularly crucial to what they're doing. It's a nightmare; they can't get anything signed off. They literally get told, "We're not interested." Sort it out amongst yourselves. And so, that's prime ministerial authority. The same thing happened with Blair on, for example, the Home Office, where it was very well known he cared immensely about it, and anyone who spoke for him on that issue had immediate authority to make things happen. So that's because behind Cummings lies the Prime Minister, which is which unblocks Whitehall. And that's, again, a, a good thing. You know, that helps things to, to go through. Special advisors are maligned wrongly in government because they can help things to, to manoeuvre. Before we move off um, the inner works of number 10 in Cummings, we probably should talk about um, your old boss, Salma, and oh. Sajid Javid losing his special advisor. Were you surprised? I mean, it's I mean, it comes to something when the, the, the front page of the Times is about a, a special advisor being marched out of number 10 by the police on the orders of the the new... Uh, I don't know what he is. Is he special advisor? Senior advisor. Senior advisor. Suzerain. Suzerain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sultan. Well, were you going to ask what, what did I make of yeah, it? Yeah, what did you make of it? I, mean, I was pretty shocked. I think, you know... I don't want to talk about the person in question because actually she's not a public figure and I think it's unfair to, to sort of continue to use her as an illustration of, of Cummings's power in number 10. But it is shocking. Um, you know, special advisors don't really enjoy a lot of employment rights and, you know, most of them do it for all the right reasons, as we've talked about on this podcast before. So the fact that you can be diligent and work hard and, you know, seemingly look at someone funny and get marched out, you know, by cops is... A little bit scary, I've got to say. And the fact, and politically, the fact that you can take away the Chancellor's special advisor without him knowing about it is pretty unnerving. You're not tempted to go back in and help out? No. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Right, uh, let's move on and let's talk about uh, the, the state of the Tory party. This is Ian Martin. The obvious answer, of course, is for Boris to put the dog 
in charge. Looks like a nice dog. But failing that course of action, he has to dig in. Boris, that is, not the dog. Use every legitimate tactic in the book. Lawyer up, look for loopholes and refuse to budge. Make the Tory Remainers try to vote in Corbyn. Just hold hard to the position that Britain must leave on October the 31st. If it doesn't, then it's the end of the Tory party. And I think he knows that, doesn't he? That, that it really does all hang on that date. He's put all of his chips on that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I voted to leave, regard myself as a pretty moderate leaver. I wouldn't I feel have, like we I need to do have, the game, Ian, go and say it's all going very well with a straight face. Well, actually, I, do, I feel really, really motivated and quite fired up. I like the fact that he's going for it. I keep hearing that the Brexiteers are depressed and not motivated, but someone is someone is actually trying to get this done. I wouldn't have chosen no deal as my ideal option. I would rather have a deal. But they're setting about it. And we're going to know one way or the other. I mean, this has been interminable. It's, you know, by next spring, it'll be four years since people voted to leave the European Union. Um, And I think his entire approach rests on an understanding that the most stupid thing that Theresa May did, of many stupid things, was to (laughs) allow the establishment or to enable the establishment of a genuine populist party which has the potential to endure even beyond this process by holding the European elections, which she was advised not to mm-hmm. and should have said, I will simply sue me, I will not hold these ele- hold these elections. And you mean the, the, the establishment Brexit of the Brexit party? party yeah. The establishment of the Brexit party is, is in a sense, the key fact of the year other than the change of, of prime minister or it leads ultimately to a change of prime minister. And he knows that a divided right or centre-right, is doomed. And if Britain doesn't leave on October the 31st, you'll see rocket boosters put under the Brexit party. That applies to Tory donations and Tory donors, I think, and to quite a lot of uh, members. And it is defining. It's existential. There have already been three delays. One way or another, somehow, he has to get Britain out. Just a, a minor, and I do agree with you, the Brexit party do pose, pose a massive problem. We did all say that about the U, about UKIP in the run-up. 2015, UKIP won the European Parliament elections. Farage was riding high, and then yeah, the Tories got. But there was a small majority. matter of a referendum pledge. The, the, the UKIP. I'm not a UKIP fan. I'm not a Farage fan. I've criticised him a lot, uh, and I don't think I would, could have voted Brexit if Farage had been in charge mm. of the uh, referendum campaign. But it's clear, whether you love him or know them, that he's one of the most influential figures of the post-war period. He changed the argument in the Conservative Party. He he leveraged his power, about four to six million votes, to terrify the Tory leadership and force them to promise a referendum. That explains what happened in 2015, to some extent. Um, Of course, Cameron also appealed to Liberal voters as well, so it's more complex than that. But, um, and I think now Boris knows that he's sitting there on 33 to 35% of the vote the only way, if he can get an election, I've, I've, I've always been sceptical about a pact of some sort, but I think you're probably, because of the way that Parliament is behaving, you're probably now in that territory. see very little mention of it, but I'm just fascinated by how quiet people like Tysar and Brexit Party donors. I would just think we, uh, we, should be, we should be open to the possibility that at some point in the chaos of the next few weeks, um, there is something close to a deal or some sort of understanding because if the Tories do manage to 
shut down the Brexit party or come to some sort of accommodation. It's not guaranteed that the Tories go from 33 to 45% of the, the vote, but it puts them in with a fighting chance of getting 40 plus against the divided opposition. So I think that's the, that's the wild card. What everyone is saying, Boris is going to be stuck. There's no room for manoeuvre. Of course, Cummings doesn't want to do, do a deal with the Brexit party, but it well, may no, become no. It may become the logical outcome of the of the chaos of the next few weeks. Isn't it also true that the, the more Tory you are, the longer you've been in the party, the more you've fought and worked for it, the less likely you are to want to do a deal with someone else? Do you want... A, yeah, well, it's sort yes. of in your core that you don't want to help Nigel Farage out. Well, I, yes, that's true, but I don't really... Also, I don't think that the Brexit party wants to fight a nationwide... <laughs> election all of the, the 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 hype and the tweets saying they have 500 candidates ready it's all sort of protesting too much they don't have the infrastructure on the ground they got um stung badly in peterborough i think if there is a deal it'll be more of a standing aside in 50 seats or a memorandum of understanding on no deal being the the viable option unless there is a deal to the following conditions but i th- i think that is probably where things are headed. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all the short-term problems, and obviously Farage is a very serious problem for the Tory party, although Boris Johnson has managed to retrieve some of that vote <laughs> already by looking incredibly serious about leaving. But I just want to interrogate how hard your claim is, Ian. This is existential, you say, and if we don't leave on the October the 31st, this is the end of the Conservative Party. In really? its current form. Really? So what happens? to it? Does it just disappear? There's never a Conservative government again? I think saying? if you what if, if we left on the first of February, I mean back to back to um, back to Dominic Cummings' blogs. Um, <laughs> if, if you oh, you, re- you read them so we don't have to. <laughs> well, I mean, it it does help inform the you know the thinking of um, of Johnson and Gove on all yeah. of this. So I think it I think it does matter. Cummings is not, of course, we think he's not a member of the Conservative Party. He's written really quite eloquently about the need for if if the Tory party fails to deliver Brexit something else will have to replace it that may not even be the Brexit party it might be some fusing of a large chunk of the Conservative party the the most Eurosceptic part of it which is probably about half with bits of the Brexit party Uh, and I think if the also I keep hearing that the, the Tories then run the risk of alienating liberal voters or liberal conservatives I think it's pretty clear that most of those voters have uh, or those voters who are were going to go have already gone to the Liberal Democrats right so Brexit uh, I, don't think, I don't think yeah do, it's, do you it's, think that's what I sound with it, it which splits the opposition because you end up by doing a deal with the Brexit party you end up losing the people out the other sides that, that David that gave David Cameron a majority in uh, yeah, I absolutely uh, agree with that. So the, the the problem here is that is that you have a strategy that is about bringing the Leave vote together. So your Farage and your hardline Conservatives. What that means is that the, the core Tory vote will soften. So you are going to seat the Liberals. And I have been, for my sins, a local ward chairman for the Conservative Party previously, and that is in Westminster, in central London, which has been a really solidly Tory seat. And there are a lot of people, even in the association, who will um, vote Liberal Democrat. And it's not 
it's not just because they want to um, split the opposition because they think it's going to be unlikely, it, it'll make it less likely for Corbyn to come in. Actually, it's because they want to give what they believe is conservatism a much better chance than what they think they have currently. Mm. And that's, that is frightening. The key, the, the key to the Cummings strategy, which could, I stress again, could go spectacularly badly wrong. So it might not work. I'm not saying this is a, a stroke of genius. But the, the key insight lies in reactivating the 17.4 million. Now, you cannot get all of them for reasons we understand to do. Some people are dead. Some people, <laughs> some people, some people will never vote again. Uh, and they voted on a, on a one-off basis. But it is, the strategy is about tapping into, and it'll be via data and it'll be, a, be via traditional campaigning, but it'll be, be uh, I, I think it will be, run on sort of vote leave model and you can already see that already in terms of how about, they're doing the data Phil's it'll point. be about getting to as many of those people if as people possible. just if in the end people just want to stop talking about it at what point do people stop defining forever themselves on what they did three what? four five six years ago well that's po that's possible but what's the route to that in the campaign mm. it's also, now it's, it's possible labor will run a series of i suspect rather brilliant videos about the nhs and about community and very good at making this sort of stuff but it will still be in the, the if we if we get an election it will still be in the key in the key television debates for example it'll still be yeah. well, what is Labour's policy the, on this your response to the existential not yours but the response to the existential threat which is that strategy <clears throat> is itself an existential threat to the Conservative mm. Party on a longer term view because those two tribes have when Brexit is done let's just assume for the moment it's done but those two tribes have a series of other cognate views one of which is the world's going to the dogs. Let's go back to some um, place in the in the past. And the other is a more liberal cosmopolitan view. Now, over time, that latter group is mm. growing, and your group is diminishing. So it's an actually a diminishing asset to place everything in that group. I hope the Conservative Party does that on a twenty-year view. That is the crisis for can, it. Can I just say that I, I I agree with that. There's there's one part of that that I would challenge, and I would put this to Ian as well. That seventeen point four million. Um, the, the electoral strategy that will sit behind those numbers is the same as Theresa May's in 2017, which is we are going to try and go for those Brexity Labour heartlands in the Midlands and, and the Northwest mm. and the Northeast. The problem with that is that the Tory brand has never been as strong as the Labour brand. And you are then going into an, ele an, an election campaign where the ballot paper does not say leave or remain. It says Tory or Labour. Mm. And I'm not sure, given that we've had like him though I do, Jacob Rees-Mogg et al on the on the telly for the last three years, whether we're actually going to appeal to those people because on the Venn diagram, is it still going to be leave? As you know, we've talked about, are people still going to define themselves in that way? Or will it be about the NHS education and everything else? And given that we've got a spending round tomorrow for the next year, mm. do we have any confidence that this administration is going to be able to give anybody any comfort on that? I'm not sure. I agree. I know some Labour MPs are toying with the idea of trying to get a Labour Brexit candidate in their constituency in a, in a way of breaking the Brexit vote into two so Labour can carry on winning those seats for exactly the reason that you've and if, and if we keep deselecting people, the incumbency value in strong Tory seats is, is then further diminished. Well, as you've beautifully segued into talking about Labour, we will talk about Labour properly after this short break. 
You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Uh, welcome back. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast with me, Matt Jolly. We're joined by Sal Machar, Ian Martin, and this is Phil Collins. The obvious course now is for Labour to refuse the kind offer of an election. They can say of Boris Johnson, this is a man who wanted to prorogue Parliament. Now he wants to dissolve it. Next, he'll want to abolish it. I'm sorry, but we're just not playing his game. Maroon the Prime Minister until after the 31st of October and then let him propose an election. So this is a big debate. As we come, and we should, I should have said at the beginning, we, we, we record at 11 o'clock on Tuesday morning. But while we've been in here, we are un, unaware of what has occurred. But we, we, we don't even know the identity of the Prime Minister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If somebody was doing a dementia test, it's very possible uh, they would all fail. Um, but so, certainly coming in here, it, there, was some, uh, there was a lack of clarity about Labour's position on you, an just election. Just stop that. You could just run that for <laughs> everything, couldn't you? <laughs> because, so Jeremy Corbyn has obviously spent the last three years saying, let's bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. Came very close to it being brought on last night. And um, then they all seemed to get a bit of a panic. It's only Tony Lloyd, who, as we all know, is the shadow Northern Ireland secretary, uh, went on Newsnight and said, no, 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 we're not going to play those games. And then Shami Chakrabarti clouded it all in more mystique this morning. So, but you think, uh, Phil, the, the Labour Party should just say we're not going to go yes. for an election? Yes, they should. I think they should. I think they should say we're not prepared to have an election until we've set in stone the fact that uh, we're not going to have no deal. I should say before I say all that, that this is not my own personal position because I've always been in favour of leaving with a deal. Uh, however, if we just think yourself into the position of those in the Labour Party um, wanting to maximise their own interests, just mar- you can absolutely maroon the Prime Minister here because you say, no, we're not voting for a general election because we don't trust you. His reputation for mendacity is already becoming a serious problem because you would not say of Jeremy Hunt, if he said we're going to be having an election on the 14th of October, you would not say, I think you might change the date and not tell anyone. But you, you, do, you cannot trust Boris Johnson not to do that. So they'll say, no, you're not having that. We're not going to vote for it. Make them go after the 31st of October. And we've just discussed with Ian all the consequences of going over that date. Very serious for the Conservative Party. So you're already getting him in big trouble. What can he possibly do? What can the Prime Minister do in these circumstances? He's really stuck. Then that also gives you time, if you can, to try and organise as good a gathering, alliance of Remain forces as you possibly can. It won't be some grand formal alliance, but there'll be some kind of loose um, confederation of local deals and candidates standing down, or single candidates in some places, 
on an explicit assumption that if that group of people win the election, or at least our largest grouping, they'll come together as one to have another referendum. At that point, if the government get a whiff that that might happen, they're not going to want an election either. So we really could be stuck here. So um, because we don't know what's going to happen later today, but the, the no deal opposition is going to try and take control of the uh, parliamentary agenda to then try and pass a law to rule out no deal later this week. So you think they should just concentrate on doing that, and not worry about a general election? Yeah, they should do that because that's what they want to do. That will then provoke Boris Johnson to say, let's have an election. And at that point, they they refuse to vote for it. So he he tables this the the motion of the fixed term parliaments act. He needs two thirds of all MPs. It's four hundred and thirty four. And so if they just don't play ball, he doesn't get the numbers. So yes. he's then trapped with a, a a policy that he's got to request an extension, and he can't force a general election. Yes. And so he goes ahead with prorogation. Is it, well, his only course of action actually to do something positive would be to go to the European Council and try and get a deal. Well, that would be the obviously sensible thing to do: <laughs> try and get a deal and bring it back and 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 get it through. But I don't gather there's a great deal of genuine effort going into that. But what else could he do? You're shaking start? your head, Salma. No, I, I don't believe that for a second. I think there is genuine effort that's going into to getting a deal uh, with the Commission. I think the point that you made earlier about actually let's just find an alternative to the backstop is actually the, the most pertinent one. Mm. Um, that is what's going to unlock a deal. Uh, but more than that, let's talk about Labour they do still need to get it through Parliament. So they remove the backstop. The ERG still says they're not going to vote for it. So he's back in the same position that Theresa May was in. Um, and he's going to have to rely on the Labour Party yeah, to support it. He is, he is. Now, if they decide they're not going to support it for political um, reasons again, we're, we're back to square one. I, I, if, I, on the short term that you're, you're talking about, don't give him an election. I mean, just somebody do something. <laughs> <laughs> This is just, you know, if you if you if you've got the rebels, I understand I understand That's where David Gork is coming them. from, and wants to wants to go and prevent No Deal because he thinks it'll be so catastrophic, but you can't keep trying to time this out, thinking yeah, that somehow you're going to get to a second referendum, yeah, or if not this time, next time, or let's do the first. You can. They've and what, spent and what are you going to put on the ballot paper? But, but what are you going to do? On, what are you going to put on the ballot paper? Well, for um, there's, there's two answers to that, and I, um, either No Deal versus. Um, remain or some version of withdrawal agreement versus remain but you can do it of course you can but my point is now that we've gotten on to the the discussion about labor when are they actually going to act to bring about a solution no, a they're, conclusion no, no, they're the opposition it's not up to them it's your mess and jeremy it's corbett not is not a man who's built a reputation for acting uh <laughs> if he if if he can possibly avoid it it might infuriate you but they don't have to have answers to any of these questions they can do all of this they can just do whatever they want. But surely they want to be in power. So why wouldn't they yes, go for an election? Because they're on 22 p- points in the opinion polls. They're not going to win. So, so, so we just continue in this mess? Yes. So the, the, it's your mess. The line that keeps being peddled by Labour people is that we might be on 22% of the polls, but when we have a campaign like we did in 2017 sure. and we start talking about hospital parking charges and the BBC have to give us more airtime, we'll bounce back. Now, the problem with that is it feels slightly like when you were at school and you were trying to recreate the really fun game you played yesterday and it was never quite as good. Ian, yeah, I, how easily do you think Corby can repeat that trick a second time? It's, I mean, it's perfectly plausible, actually. Um, I mean, I don't want to get, get into saying, you know, none of, none of us can know. It is completely unknowable, but we should have learnt, all learned the lesson in 2017 about how these campaigns can unfold in highly unusual ways. And either possibility is 
is you know is is, is clearly is, is clearly feasible. It's perfectly possible that Boris Johnson does get rumbled during an election campaign, and he doesn't do a deal with the Brexit Party, and he clo- <coughs> he closes on twenty nine percent, and it's a calamity for the Tories, uh, and the and Labour actually do get something going on the back of the NHS and community and nasty Tories and all the rest of it. Well, but I think we should also entertain the possibility that, um, that, that the Tories the Tories actually could fight a very good campaign on the basis of get this thing done, tell them again, uh, and do some sort of chicanery yeah. with the Brexit party. That's entirely feasible. Either. And, either. And, yeah, but I, I think the latter's more likely. I think the Tories could run a very good campaign and, and may well win. And that, funnily enough, is the Labour case for having an election, which is that Labour then loses. And that's the way of getting rid of Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> yeah. So there is that feeling. Well, they tried that, that last actually, time. Yeah, I know they did. It, it, <laughs> it didn't go failed, with that. It may yeah. fail again. Yeah. But there's a there's. I mean, Boris Johnson has a powerful argument to go into an election with, which is, this has been three years pushing four years. For goodness sake, let's get on with it. The argument someone has just put. It's a powerful argument, and it may well be successful, and that may then produce a change in the Labour Party leadership. So there's that sort of very peculiar consideration amongst Labour MPs too. But. A lot of it comes down to which do you think is more important, Corbyn or Brexit? And for lots of Labour MPs, I don't agree with this, but for lots of them, Brexit is more important than Corbyn. So they will act in to do whatever is best to prevent Boris Johnson bringing Britain out with, without a deal. Two ways, that, and the two things that are really one. Firstly, there's the legislation to try and prevent him going proceeding. But then secondly, they think that if he has an election, he will do some sort of deal with the Brexit party, which would be predicated on leaving without a deal, and he may well win. So they want to stop that too. So finally, then, we should probably wind up. Where will we be by Christmas? Inside the EU, outside, who's Prime Minister? Oh, I, I was going to answer that by saying <laughs> somewhere tropical and not looking, not looking at this. <laughs> I mean, you personally. <laughs> oh, what, what, what's your Christmas plans? <laughs> I thought you were going to say, where will we be by lunchtime? <laughs> well, that's true. Because no, we don't even know the answer to that answer. question. Um, all extremely high risk and trying to be wary of confirmation bias because obviously I want us to be out of the European Union. I think I think on balance we'll be out with no deal. Phil? I think I agree with that, though. Like, Ian, I've got absolutely no certainty about it. So the opposite as well. <laughs> I think they'll delay, no deal, they'll extend, they'll they'll force government to extend. Uh, We'll end up with a spring election, we'll come back with a hung parliament, there'll be a deal to be done on a second referendum with deal or no deal on the ticket. And who will win? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) We've been much more specific than I expected out of any of you, so thank you for that. Uh, Let's know what you think might happen, just just because it might be useful for us to know. Uh, Email uh, redboxofthetimes.co.uk or tweet us at timesredbox. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast uh, so you don't miss what will inevitably be emergency episodes over the coming days and weeks. And you can buy tickets to my tour at mytimesplus.co.uk, particularly if you live in Leeds. It would be lovely to see... Somebody there. Um, uh, (laughs) For now, my huge thanks to uh, Ian, Phil and Salma. For me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.